I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down. Has been broken by Chris Jericho. All right, the People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. I've got the power. I've got the power. I've got the power. Uh, 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 uh. right snap i've got the power by snap all right you can't always just make these cowbell songs rock and roll songs because i'm running out of material to be honest with you actually there's a whole slew of amazing songs that i can use uh if you hear some outside noises it's because i'm coming to you live from the basement of center stage in atlanta georgia where we have a, a big fozzy show tonight with theory of a dead man It's a famous, famous venue. A lot of WCW TV tapings were done here. I never worked here before. WCW was finished uh, with center stage by the time I had my day uh, in WCW. So uh, we're here. And it's a pretty cool place, very prestigious place. If you hear some bleed through, it's because bands are playing and sound checking above us upstairs. That's what's coming up, a big Fozzie show tonight. And also coming up on the show today, Kevin Smith. We tried to do this a couple times uh, since I started doing my podcast, and Kevin is actually tied with Ace Fraley for the most cancellations of, of, of being a guest on my show, of, of kind of uh, making a, a, an arrangement and then 
canceling. So anyways, uh, I got Kevin and what an amazing interview. Uh, wait to hear what happened when I finally did connect with Kevin to do the interview. <laughs> Great story and coming up. Also going to talk about Night of Champions and my entire WWE uh, run. I had a great time. I'm finished with the WWE for, for now. Uh, thanks to all of you guys for always supporting me in the WWE with Fozzie. And thanks to all of you for doing your Amazon shopping through my links at podcastone.com. It's the easiest way to support the show. Amazon is a proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho. And every time you shop at Amazon through my link, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help us cover production costs. Listen, I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, and Amazon Canada A. And guess what you get on Amazon? New Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? New Theory of a Dead Man record, Savages. All of it's right there, plus my new book. My third book comes out on October 14th. The best in the world at what? I have no idea. It's dropping October 14th. So go pre-order the book and go uh, check out the, the albums, Fozzie and Theory of a Dead Man, or buy whatever you want. You know, you want to buy a new grill, you want to buy a big screen TV for football season or to watch Raw on it. Get anything you want. It's not going to cost you anything extra to go through my Amazon link. There's no hidden fees or anything. If you happen to be doing some Amazon shopping, you can help me out uh, in, in the process and help out the show in the process. Go to podcastone.com, click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page, eh? then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it so you can get those links. Links in one easy click. All right. Got to tell you, um, Night of Champions had, had a great match with Randy Orton. I really feel like the last couple of weeks between the cage match with Bray Wyatt and the, uh, the, the match with Randy Orton at Night of Champions were two of my best matches that I had on this run coming back. Uh, always great to steal the show. And we did steal the show. Uh, originally, I was supposed to work with Seth Rollins at Night of Champions. Vince changed it to, to, to Randy Orton. And we had a just a really really cool, great chemistry. I love how he works. He's such a a, a, a careful worker. He, his timing is immaculate. His selling is great. He's very over. He's got a lot of moves that are over. So it really makes a, a big difference to be in a ring with a pro like that. And uh, had a great finish. I really enjoyed it. You know, um, it's funny to hear some people go, "Ah, it was so obvious that you were going to jump off the top rope and get RKO'd." Yeah, sure. That's exactly what all of you were thinking. I really don't buy that. Of course, it happens. So you're like, I see, I told you. But I think uh, when you're watching the match and, and the way that we built it and the way that it was, I think that was a great finish, a great surprise, and a great way for me to end my WWE run. I can't believe the three months went by already. And I got to tell you, I had a really, really good time this run. Um, the last run I did in April to June of last year, it was okay. Didn't really have much purpose, and I need purpose when, I, when I'm on the shows. And that led to me just coming back and, and kind of losing a lot. And I love when people go, oh, it's so great that Jericho comes back to put over the young guys. Hey, if I had my way, I'd win every night. Trust me. But I do what my boss tells me to do. And sometimes people go, why do you allow that to happen? And I'll tell you the reason why. I'm paid uh, by Vince McMahon to do a service for him. And he tells me what he wants me to do within that service. If I go to do a movie for Steven Spielberg... Saving uh, Private Ryan Part 2, and 10 pages into the script, my character gets his head blown off, and I go, listen, Stephen, uh, I really don't think my character would do this. Stephen would go, great, get the hell out of here, and uh, we'll get somebody else in here to do your part. And that's the same way I feel about the WWE. And of course, I do add my opinions, and I, I, I let my feelings be known, but Vince McMahon is the boss, and whatever he wants me to do, I do. Having said that, this run coming back, 
Uh, I had a purpose. I, I did not come back until he agreed to do the Bray Wyatt feud and then uh, worked that through most of the summer and then kind of tagged it with the, with the Orton match, which did not have much of a storyline, but the match itself was, was, was excellent and really kind of painted a great picture and, and put a great exclamation point on my run here in the WWE for this time. Um, like I mentioned, the, the Night of Champions match with, with, with Orton, the Cage match with Wyatt, loved both of those. Um, also really, really enjoyed working with Luke Harper. I enjoyed working with Seth Rollins. I almost said Seth Rogen. I'm sure he'd be a great worker too. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the house shows that I did, the tour of Australia. Um, just being around the guys, you know, and, and seeing the the progression of, of a lot of the guys. Uh, I mean, Cesaro just keeps getting better. Sheamus is coming back in a big way. Cena always works hard. I loved working with him, although I didn't work with him this time. Uh, I enjoyed the NXT guys, Adrian Neville, Tyler Breeze. I mean, Tyson Kidd is always great. Um, who was the other cat? Sami Zayn. You can see those guys starting to come up. I mean, the Usos uh, did a great job. Uh, Rollins, Ambrose, Roman Reigns. I'd have to say that the company is in, in a great, great shape right now. Um, and a lot of, of really cool things to look forward to uh, over the next you know year, six months, whatever it is. And as far as it goes for me, I mean, um, you know, anytime I come back and I kind of have a, a, a good experience, it, it reignites my love for wrestling. I remember we had a six-man on Raw a couple of weeks ago. It was me and Reigns, and I think Cena was out there against maybe the Wyatt family or whoever was out there, Orton. And I remember afterwards just going, man, I love wrestling. I mean, it's so much fun. I love wrestling after the cage match, and I love wrestling after the Orton uh, Orton match. And it's just, um, you know, when you've been doing it as long as I have, anytime you get that special moment where you're out there and you got the crowd in the palm of your hand and you know that you got a couple really cool false finishes coming, I mean, all that stuff, it's why we do it. You know, it, it's, it's this rush that you get that you can't get anywhere else. Um, it's better than sex. It's better than, than getting high. It's just this natural adrenaline of being in front of, of, of this great audience and knowing that you've got them exactly where you want them. And, um, you know, I will work for Vince McMahon and, and for Triple H for as long as they will have me. And if that means for one month, three months, six months, I mean, if we didn't have this Fozzie tour, I would have gone back for another three months. I, that's how much fun I was having. And I didn't know how much fun I was going to have at first, but working with Wyatt was, was a really, really cool um, feud for me. And, and he's a great performer. He's, he really knows his character. He knows exactly what he's doing in the ring. It's something different and unique. And that's one of the reasons why he's getting over so well. Uh, Night of Champions, once again, I think Brock and Cena had a great match. Interesting finish. The only thing is now Brock has to go tear Seth Rollins apart for causing him the match. Uh, Sheamus and Cesaro had, had an excellent match as well. The, the Divas worked hard. They're really coming in and really working hard. I, I saw the NXT pay-per-view with Charlotte and Bailey. They had a great match. They're starting to really come up the ladder and come up the ranks as well. So the Divas are looking good. Um, I know that Adam Rose and his bunny had a match, which is amazing. I, th only, I figured it was only a matter of time because Vince, uh, I thought he would get a kick out of that bunny. Ah, <laughs> uh, you gotta love the WWE. So, uh, so long, farewell, happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. 
smile is on a fan. I don't even know how that goes. Anyways, happy trails, WWE, and uh, thanks for everything. And we will see you guys very, very soon. Maybe even sooner than you think. Okay? Uh, had uh, my stitches taken out from getting cut open by Kane at Raw last week. No problem. Kind of pulled my groin in the last Orton match. Uh, he, you know, that power slam, my, my leg kind of flew a little bit to the side and, and kind of pulled it a bit. But, you know, it's all good, man. Another successful uh, time. And leaving the backstage area, it's always a little bit bittersweet. You see some people that you know. I'm not very good with goodbyes. I don't like walking through and saying, like, oh, see you later. I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. But you do run into a few people. And my friends, Ms. Ziegler. Dr. Chris Amon, another great guy, Mark Carano, working behind the scenes. Triple H and Vince, I shook Vince's hand when I left, and he said, thank you for a great match. He was mad because he couldn't get his iPhone 6 to work, but he said, you know, great match, and thank you, and shook his hand, and we made a deal that we have to go see ACDC live at some point in time because uh, we both love ACDC. So. <laughs> and I hope you love uh, Fozzie and Theory of a Dead Man. We are on a major, major tour. Just played Atlanta ten, uh, last night, and then uh, tonight we're in Charlotte. The next day, September 25th, Beckley, West Virginia. That's a Fozzie headlining show. Uh, September 26th in Columbus, 27th, Winston-Salem, 28th, Marietta, Ohio. Come check us out. Come uh, listen to... Do you want to start a war? Pick it up on Amazon. I'm going to play another tune for you. Uh, we've, you've heard it before. I'm in a good mood. I want to hear Tonight featuring Michael Starr from Steel Panther, a Talk is Jericho alumni. Let's crank it up from Do You Want to Start a War? This is some new Fozzie right here in TIJ.
think? Did you like it? Did you uh, did you dig it? Um, I hope so. If you did, hit me up on the Twitter ah! at Talk Is Jericho at Fozzy Rock. Uh, lots of cool Fozzie stuff coming up. Lots of great guests coming up too. I've got the next uh, three or four months mapped out. But for tonight and on Friday, pop culture icon, director, diehard hockey fan, and wannabe Canadian Kevin Smith is coming up. He's got a new movie out, Tusk. And man, what a great conversation we had. Had so much fun. We'll talk about Tusk, uh, the crazy story about how that movie came together, the crazy story about how Kevin and I met each other for the first time in front of his house. (laughs) So many cool stories. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. Here at the uh, amazing house of Kevin Smith. And the funny thing is, whenever you do a podcast, we've never met before. Mm-hmm. People have been saying, hey, you should do Kevin, Kevin Smith. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you always have, like, there's always a little bit like, how do you break the ice? And today, best icebreaker ever. We had a very meet cute. <laughs> like a big time in the movies, we call it meet cute. It was wonderful <laughs> meet cute, man. I was going up the hill with my old lady to walk the mutts today. And it is a... A forever struggle to be like, I, I'm going to go exercise in any way, shape, or form. Right. And for me, that is exercise, just walking up the hill. So, you know, finally I got up the gumption. I was like, I got nothing to do until later on today. There's a screening at noon. I said, before the screening, let's go walk the hill with the dogs. So we're walking, and then this gorgeous man pulls up <laughs> and starts talking to me in Canadian. I was like, am I in my dream still? This is what happens to me when I'm sleeping at night. Um, and it was it was Chris, and he was just like, hey, man, we're, we're about to talk today. And I was like, what? And I knew we were supposed to. We had had failed connections right. uh, like the last two times. And I remember there was talk of like, there's a date, and we'll do it, and we'll come. I said, come over, we'll do it here. And then Ashley, who was my assistant, didn't tell me to stay. So Chris was so sweet about being like, I'm going to go do other stuff. We'll come back, sit, kick back and do it tonight. (laughs) But there was a moment where I was just like, oh, my hero, dude. You might have just rescued me, given me the excuse not to take this walk. (laughs) Like, we got to go home, man. I got a podcast to do. And from my point of view, it's like I pull up in a car, you know, unidentified black sedan. I'm like, (laughs) hey, Kevin, just looking for your house. And that's probably all you heard at first was like, 
some crazy fan <laughs> has found my house pulling up next to me and like, hey, man. And I would have been scared if they said house. But the fact they said house, I was like, I'm safe. <laughs> it's I, I a never, Canadian. I, I hear never, it without I, looking, without seeing. I never, it's the Doppler effect of a Canadian. You hear it. Before you see it, because you hear hoose out, and then you're like, ah, I'm safe. Well, you never realize it either. Like, until I started traveling, how much of an accent Canadians have, which is, is amazing for me because you're from Jersey and you mm. don't have an accent. You, no, I'm from you a never place have. in Jersey. It's, a, it's Central Jersey, they call it. It was never like one of those terms. Like, South Jersey is a thing, North Jersey is a thing. Mm -hmm. Later in life, people started saying, like, there is a section somewhere in between. They call it Central Jersey. But where we were, which is the shore, Mm -hmm. That much vaunted Jersey Shore they put in those programs on, mm -hmm. uh, on the M MTV. On the MTV. On the old MTV. Those kids, even though they weren't from Jersey, they were all down the Jersey Shore. It, whenever you showcase those kids, they all have accents, but they're not from there. Mm -hmm. The people from the shore oh, don't really right. have an accent. Like when you hear Jersey and people, that's nor normally North Jersey. And then you'll hear a little bit of... Uh, Philly in South Jersey, so people like him. We're gonna go him and oh. stuff. But in Central, we got no personality whatsoever, no flavor. <laughs> it's not like being in Texas where you got to draw and people are like you're mysterious. I don't even have the flavor of a Jersey accent. I do have the credibility of being able to be like oh, I'm from Jersey, and that'll take you a lot of places in life, open right. up a lot of doors. It's just it's currency mm -hmm. in a weird way. People go oh oh I know that place, but there's no discernible accent for it. And I've listened like my my friend Walter who's on. He has a podcast called Tom Steve Day, but he's on Comic Book Men. Yes. Him, my friend Brian Johnson, he's on that show. Uh, my mother. These are all people I've podcasted with at various points. And people have tweeted or Facebook, like, how come none of you have accents? The only one that kind of has one a little bit is Jason Muse, mm -hmm. But his is an accent-y as much as it's just a bad education. <laughs> like, you know, it's not so much where he's like Joyzy, but he's the guy who says... You guys going? You guys want to go over here? You know, so yeah. it sounds like an accent, but it's not. It's just poor grammar, bad English, <laughs> I guess. But, but you told me earlier we were kind of talking and, uh, and getting to know each other a little bit. You want to hear? Here's the depressing. Let's share with these cats the depressing information. We were doing birthdays, and I was like, I'm August 1970. And he was like, oh, I'm like two months after you. And suddenly I was like, this is what I'd look like if I ever tried. <laughs> Sitting across from a man who's just like, this is what 43 looks like, dude. With, <laughs> with, with a Canadian accent, so oh to speak. Oh, my God, right? you're my, you're my <laughs> dream, dude. You're my, my mirror, like not the dark mirror of like this is what you'd be like if you were evil, but this is what it'd be like if everything had worked out for you. Like, if you hadn't been born in Jersey, you're born up north, got to be Canadian. But you're dual, right? Yeah, dual citizen. So you got yeah. both. So what, your dad was Canadian? My dad was American? born in Winnipeg, both my mom and dad. I were born in Winnipeg in Manitoba. Mom my mom right was there. born in mom was born in Flin Flon. The f so I don't even tell me. I was home with Bobby Clark. Absolutely. Yeah, so did she know Bobby Clark? Uh, I'm not sure. I think they might have. I think Bobby might have been a couple years younger because you know back in those days when you're in high school and someone's two years younger, three years younger, it seems like forever. Yeah, forever, right? But yeah, Flin Flon. That's got to be one of the most Canadian names uh, you could think of, along with Moose Jaw. Uh, Red Deer, mm -hmm. Swift Current, those are, you know, uh, uh, blood, Bloodstone. Flin Flon being the home of, of course, uh, Bobby Clark. Some people, like, uh, maybe don't, don't know the story of Bobby Clark, which I've always loved because mm -hmm. it's the story of someone taking a chance on somebody that everyone else kind of passed on. Right. He's diabetic. Mm -hmm. So back then, you know, nowadays when you go through any sort of uh, recruitment program, training program, whatever – the, through any draft there's metrics scientists <laughs> but the, you see those those are the things necessary because they're like if we're going to invest millions we want to make sure they're peak physical health so back in the in the day they didn't really have that sort of thing they just 
had, you know, knowledge, like, yeah. well, of experience, empirical knowledge. So they're like, you know, you get a healthy boy and you make sure he trains. And if you ever look at those ridiculous contracts from like the Maple Leafs back in the day, training camp is like a week before the season begins. Right. And Phil, Phil Esposito told me you need to do 20 push-ups and 20 sit-ups. That was That's it. training camp. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. So Bobby Clark, when they're drafting, as, as they're going through the, through the draft season, Bobby Clark gets picked by the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Flyers. He doesn't get picked in, in the first round, maybe even the, the second round, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because he was diabetic. And, you know, everyone was like, well, he, he plays great, but, you know, diabetic. Well, he might die on us. Yeah. Without knowing, without really looking into it, just taking it for granted. Like, well, sick is sick. So how could He's that got be disease? Good? Yeah. They call up doctor and they're like, hey, man, we got this kid plays great hockey, but he's diabetic. Like. Mm-hmm. Can it work? And he's like, yeah, as long as he's been taking his insulin shots or he's moderating his diet or whatever. Like, yeah, it's not like it's it's, it's not something that can prohibit him from playing the game whatsoever. And so the Flyers are like, all right, let's take this kid, mm-hmm. and he turns into dude, one of the greatest of all time, hockey players of all time. He gives Philadelphia two Stanley Cups. Yeah, because somebody stopped for a second, and instead of just taking the conventional common wisdom of like, take a pass on this kid, man, he's sick. Mm-hmm. These cats were like, well, what is sick? What does sick mean? Like, let's find out and make a right. let's make a call and ask a question. And that changes hockey forever. That's what I love about the game. Stories like that. Well, I mean, and, and coming into your house, I mean, you got hockey posters all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're obviously a huge hockey fan. The, the Kevin Smith uniform, which is why I knew it was you this morning, was the hockey jersey. It was actually a hoodie. I was wearing an Edmonton hoodie. Oilers hoodie. The, back, the backwards hat, the shorts. You're obviously a huge hockey fanatic. Yeah. Uh, is that since you were a kid? Was your dad a fan? Or, or? Came later. My dad, I remember my earliest hockey memory is I had this uh, little toy that Mattel put out, mm-hmm. and they had these little fake records that you put into them. Into the they stored in the back, and they put it in. This is pre, you know, I was gonna say pre iPod. This is way pre iPod. This is pre cable television. Yeah. This is when there were like three channels. I tell about the shit. plastic record player. Yes, yeah. but it's t- it's it looked like a walkie-talkie. Okay, and so it had these little picture grant picture discs that I would say maybe about the size like uh, two toonies thick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Toonies. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On these little discs, they got a picture of the athlete, uh-huh. and then the athlete talks about the story. Like you know, they, it's not even the athlete; they just have somebody telling their story and all their stats. So they were like, uh, "Lou Alcinder," you know, because it was before he had changed his name. <laughs> That's right. So the fir- one Kareem of Abdul Jabbar right? before he became Kareem Abdul Jabbar. So before, so one of the records that they had was Bobby Orr, number four, Bobby Orr, and they told his mini history, and you hear the crowds cheering and stuff like that. So I was always captivated. Like I, I never basketball was not for me, uh, even though you know, I'm an American kid and I grew up like right near New York, being in New Jersey, and you've, so you've got Mets and Yankees up the ass. I've never been a baseball person. I played Little League poorly for one season and then left. Spent a lot of time on the bench talking to other kids about Return of the Jedi and not really playing the sport. But hockey, I think, would have if that had been open to me, would have been a different story. Now, hockey didn't really come to Central Jersey until the Devils came to, right. to well, Jersey. 84? 82? 82. So prior to that, if you're in Jersey, of course, you're a Rangers, either a Rangers person or a Flyers person because we mm-hmm. didn't have our, our own team. And there was a big sense of those teams, but there was no personal connection because my father didn't pass it on to me. I didn't have someone pass on hockey to me the way it normally is. Normally people watch it with their family, mm-hmm. you know, fathers and, and mothers watch it with their sons and daughters. 
I watched it with Walter Flanagan, that dude who's on Comic Book Men. I met him at this Highlands Recreation Center where we worked uh, in New Jersey. And he is a massive hockey enthusiast and had been since the team came to Jersey. He was like, he told me, like, when, when they announced they were coming, I got excited. Never really watched hockey, but suddenly we had our own team, so I took an interest. So he was there from the ground mm-hmm. up, lifer. I start hanging out with him 1988. Um, I'm out of high school, and, I'm, and uh, I wind up, like, spending more time with Walter, Brian Johnson, um, Jason Muse. And so you guys all grew up together. Kind of. Like, we weren't, like, Brian area. and Walter were two grades above me, and we all went to the same high school and schools. I went to a Catholic school for first through eighth, and they went to, like, public school, but we all went to Henry Hudson Regional the High School. Muse was, like, four grades below me. So as I was graduating, he was a, a freshman or coming into his freshman year. So maybe three, yeah, three grades below me. So we all crossed over, but in high school, never hung out. Like, I never hung out with Jason Muse. He knew who I was because I had, like, some art in the art room window they put up once. And he was like, you made that Bullwinkle thing. And I knew who he was because he was, the like, the Dennis, Dennis the Menace, a kid of local legend. Like, there's that Muse kid. Oh, he's always getting in trouble. Yeah, he yeah. broke the window at Beatles. <laughs> so, like, you would, you know, he you heard of him, but he was younger. I never hung out with him. Brian and Walter were two grades above me, and so I never really hung out with them, but like see him in the lunchroom or something like that. Mm-hmm. I remember always thinking Walter Flanagan was tough because he wore uh, his hair really long. He was in a metal, and he had like a denim jacket with an album cover, metal album cover painted mm-hmm. on the back. I was like, that guy's scary. So that dude, when I started hanging out with him at the Highlands Recreation Center after I'm done with high school, and he's already been done with high school two years, uh, we worked together for like six to eight months. Don't even say anything. He's not a very communicative person. You try to engage him and he's just like, uh, and he doesn't really mm-hmm. talk. We wound up bonding over comic books. Um, he brought me back into comic books. Like I had known comics as a kid, but I, you know, I wasn't reading them in high school. Cause I was like, Oh, girls don't like comic books. I was more <laughs> interested in the girls. So Walter like was the first person that was like, man, like, you know, here, you read this. This is a copy of this book, a trade paperback called The Dark Knight Returns. And you tell me if, like, you couldn't get laid reading a book like this or something. So I, I took it home and read it. I said, this is amazing. This is comics now? Like, mm-hmm. I'm totally back in. So that dude was my bridge to comic books. But the other bridge that he was was hockey as well. So he would play. You know, he loved the sport. He loved watching them play. But that was when inline roller skates just broke. <laughs> so suddenly, he, you know, people in town were getting blades, roller blades. And, you know, we ice, uh, roller skates had kind of gone out of fashion years prior, the four, you know, the two yeah. and two. But when they introduced the inline skate, people were Twitter, man, because it was like, you can literally skate in these. You can play hockey. My friend Ed Hapstack, like, turned into, he was always a graceful skater on the ice, but my God, he could work these rollerblades like he was on ice. Same with Walterman. So they got way into it, and then we'd create little teams. They'd create teams, and they'd play. So I was never really playing, and they'd be like, all right, we're going off to play. We'll see you later. And so finally, one day, I was like, I want, can I, is there anything I can do in this game? And Walter was like, well, you're pretty big. We could put you in goal. <laughs> of course, right? there were two. They had two goalies. One was a garbage can. Of course. And the other one was this guy, Brian Hartsgrove, who's like one, like a hero from our town. Brian had, um, I don't know what it was, I, one of those like MS or something mm-hmm. where you walk with the, the canes. canes with the cuff around them and stuff. I'm pretty sure it's MS. But you wouldn't know. I mean, they talk about like Andy Capable and stuff like that back in the day. This is beyond that. The, the, like 
it makes me feel ashamed even to this day is that this kid who you know had ms and and it affected him like you know for the rest of his life never let it affect him hmm. it affected him physically but that dude played touch football that dude played hockey and so he, he was, was the goalie. goalie so how hearts grow we call them hearts how hearts would play goal was he couldn't stand because he had the ms so hearts would put on baseball knee pads and play on his knees on the ground. Hmm. And the rest, he had the chest protector and he had a glove and blah, blah, blah. He would, but he didn't use a stick because he'd have to brace himself with the other hand. So me, you know, I'm learning to play the game across from that goalie. They take the garbage can out of the other goal. So naturally, the first thing I do is just get down on my knees and start <laughs> playing the game. And they all let me do that for probably about a month before Walter goes like, why are you on your knees? And I was just like, well, that's, I mean, is <laughs> and then I really thought about it going like, I guess they don't play on their knees in, in the NHL. Like, why am I on my knees? And I was like, well, Hartz is on his knees. Like, well, Hartz has to be on his knees because he has MS. <laughs> why are you on your knees? And I was like, oh, I, I guess that's just how I learned the game. And that's when I became a stand-up goalie. So I started playing from 19, let me see, 1988 on. Like, you know, I, I love everything that's happened in my life and I've done some cool things. But one of my favorite periods of my life was from 88 to like 92. Why is that? Because that's, we would just play hockey. Oh, just play street hockey or oh, play on the rollerblades? Every weekend yeah. on the rollerblades. Um, and I, you know, became a better goalie and then we got way more into it. We would build nets, Olympic, like not Olympic size, but mm -hmm. regulation mm -hmm. nets because, you know, the nets that you bought at the store were tiny and I was a big dude so you couldn't find right. any, any quarter within the net whatsoever. So Ed Hapstack built like a regulation net, and then he'd get mad. He was our friend. He'd get mad, like play passionately, and somebody, ah, I'd take a stick and just destroy the net. So halfway <laughs> through the game, you're like, like you know, yeah. you just ruined it for everybody. He's like, well, I built it, so what's it matter? Yeah. And man. he put such craftsmanship into it, you know, like picked up netting and put together like these nice, really nice pieces, and it looked like a wooden version of something you'd see on the ice. But then he would just destroy it. It would get a little frustrating. But other than that, wondrous time bonding with new friends, playing the game, then going to see the game, you know, because mm -hmm. we would go see Devils constantly. And we didn't get season tickets because none of us had any money. But you go up game night. Now, sometimes my mom, she worked for this doctor who was the team doctor, uh, Dr. Kamatucci for a long time as Devils doctor. So she'd come home with like, hey, you got tickets. So when I met Walter and, and when we first, when we finally started talking, I was like, oh, I get Devils tickets all the time. And he was like, What? So we would start going to games, and then when I couldn't get tickets, we would just go up and scalp tickets on day. We used to get them at Sev for seven bucks. Why? Get, Why? They would just sell like Seven Eleven would have a special little offer, you know, two hundred tickets or whatever for seven bucks a game. And it, the thing is about the Winnipeg Jets is when they left, they never did more than twelve thousand a season as far as average attendance. So there was always seats open and people look back at the Jets as like these glorious the Winnipeg Jets but at the end there was no glorious. That's why they left. That's why they left because yeah. they never There's, made money. I, we were talking about off the air this wonderful documentary series called Hockey of People's History. Right, yeah. Heartbreaking chapter on uh when Winnipeg when when the Jets leave Winnipeg because mm -hmm. uh, you were I guess were you there at that point? Yeah. Well no I had, I had left but but when you grew up in Winnipeg the Jets were tattooed on your on your heart. So you knew about the drive where like they raised millions yeah. of dollars like the fan base by having like cookouts and car washes and, and drives concerts and, and they raised a substantial mm -hmm. amount of money but at the end it, it didn't work enough. And the thing is when when the team left that that town died. 
Like it took all the heart out of the city. Winnipeg is not a bad place in the wintertime. It's really cold. Yeah. But in the summertime, it's, it's people are out. Everyone wants to do something. It's a great scene. And it's actually, the weather's really nice, kind of like it is tonight. Even hotter sometimes. But mm-hmm. when the Jets left, it killed the... The heart it was of like town. taking the Shankara stones out of the Indiana Jones Absolutely. village, right? Indy, why? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back Shivalinga. <laughs> and they finally brought back Shivalinga. Om Nam Shivai. Om Nam Shivai. So when, when they came home, I remember when they announced, we're moving a team there. They're yeah. like, if we can sell X amount of tickets, we'll, you know, that's going to help nail the cost. Yes. And I remember being like, look, I want this to happen. And, you know, even though I'm like, I'm nowhere near Winnipeg, but I'm getting season tickets. So you bought them for Winnipeg? Tried. Oh. That for, was for this the time thing. coming back? When, no, when they oh, opened. The first time they opened. When they, oh. when, they, uh, when they came back. Yeah, this time coming back. So in 2011. Season, yes. Really? So I tried to get tickets. I, was, I had four people on the phone ready to go. No kidding. And then couldn't get them in because they sold out like Ridiculous. that. Super fast. Ridiculous. So on one hand, I was like, ah! I just wanted to see another team go back up to Canada because yes, yeah, yeah. that was what make it six at that point. Well, and especially in seven. Winnipeg, it put it, it was six, but it put the heart back in the city, and people were going nuts. People waited in line. One of my friends was one of them for like eight hours just to get the hat, the the, the Winnipeg Jets cap. Right. They weren't even selling jerseys yet because people were so excited about it, about them returning. And it's been like I, I mean I don't know, but has it been a boon for the city at this? It point? It has. I mean, it just for for for. The revenue of the city, the the buzz of the city, and the reputation of the city. Where else is, are they going to be mentioning Winnipeg in L.A. or Miami or Nashville that's an or excellent Columbus? Point. That's true, man. I guess that's what a sports team one, does. Is yeah. It's kind of like free publicity for right. your city. People know who Winnipeg that. is because of the Jets. Now, you grew up there from when to when? I lived there up until 90. Uh, I'm here with Kevin Smith. We're sitting in his house talking about all kinds of stuff. Movies, hockey, Canada, and coming up, the incredible story of Clerks, including the first big purchase Kevin made after he sold Clerks to Miramax and got his first big check. And let me tell you this, it's not what you think, but it's an amazing, amazing story. Stick around. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. I'm sitting here with Kevin Smith at his house in LA. Now, you said to me earlier that you always wanted to be Canadian. Now, what about Canada? I went there when I was a kid. But like it was the first place we ever went as a family. as a family, and we took many vacations. Go Florida all the time to Disney World and Do stuff. You have sisters and brothers, brother and a sister, okay. both older, uh, mm-hmm. five years older sister, four years older brother. To the day we share the same birthday. Okay, we went. We've gone to a bunch of places. They took us cool places like Barbados and Hawaii and stuff. Even on a postal worker's salary, man. Mm-hmm. My mom was real good at stretching a buck. But before we went anywhere, doing us five years old. They were like, all right, get in the car. We're going to Canada. I was like, what's that? I thought I thought it was a Camden, New Jersey. So I was like, near Camden? They're like, <laughs> Camden, this is uh... another country. And I was like, we're going to go to another country in our car? <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah. And we're going to go to Niagara Falls. I was like, what's that? And they were like, massive waterfalls mm-hmm. where people sometimes go over in a barrel. And you're like, what? What is this magical country? Oh, my God. They just they didn't even sell it hard, dude. But it just sounded like a wonderland. Now, you know, some people listening today are like, come on, Simpleton, were you? Remember, we didn't have cable. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have, like, if you Plastic watched, records. Oh, my God. You had cartoons on Saturday morning. That was it. So if somebody was like... Someone jumped in a barrel, went over to Falls once, and died. You're like, oh, my God. Like, this place is metal, even before you know what that term means. 
So, you know, it was going to it. And this was a time where you like drove through. You just showed like I think my father showed his driver's license. Yeah, if that. <laughs> if that. Yeah, no passport necessary. No passport. Then. And we were suddenly in this other place, man. And they had their own flag. Didn't look like ours. And it was mm-hmm. on everything in the gift shop. Their cops looked different. They were dressed like Dudley Do-Right, like <laughs> cartoon characters. Yeah. Everything about it was beautiful. The people seemed nicer and stuff. But it captured my imagination because I was like, this is this this whole other world that's like literally right next to us, just right up there. Now, we had gone to, I think the they had had the World's Fair. Let me see. It was like 1975. So I guess they had just done that. In Montreal? Yeah, Montreal. Yeah. So we went to... 76, I think. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. My God, there's a picture of me standing there with the... 76 and in, in the hedge wow. work and stuff like that but everything about it just kind of stuck with me i just always liked it and then years later well i'm sctv captured my imagination so classic bob and doug mckenzie like there's no jay and silent bob without a bob and doug oh McKenzie. wow really absolutely that was one of my favorite kind of the wacky confused duo well, they were drunk I, they didn't smoke weed they, they just didn't smoke weed but i never did either like uh-huh. i didn't start smoking weed until i was like 38 but like I was not a Cheech and Chong guy, I was a Bob and Doug guy. Wow! So that relationship and Strange Brew, particularly that movie, what a great movie! Oh, Underrated, right? It still works, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Directed by both of them too. That's the thing that I always enjoy. Whenever I watch the movie again, I'm like, holy crap! Not and only a direct rip stars off and wrote it, they're, they're and, the, and a direct rip off of Macbeth. Yeah, uh, Hamlet. Hamlet. Right. If you're gonna steal, you know, <laughs> steal from the best. Steal from the best. So that that laid in there as well in my youth. And then later on, Degrassi, when I found Degrassi, that captured my imagination. I forgot about that. We loved Degrassi because I was already in college. I was 18 or 19. And that show, I remember Sunday nights, I would have to type. This is on a typewriter. Mm. Type out my you know, report or my whatever, whatever, like my assignment. Mm. But if you made any errors, you couldn't use whiteout. You had to pull it out. And start over again. Oh my god! And this really? was, you know, how is when you're yeah, on yeah, yeah. Sunday night? It's like eleven o'clock. I got to get this done. But I would always be watching Degrassi, and I'd say probably nine times out of ten, I'd be watching, and you know, Spike would be pregnant or <laughs> each whatever. time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> this week Spike gets pregnant again. again, and I'd hit like you know a comma instead of a period, and I'd be like, no. Ah! If only she had hit her period, <laughs> she would not be pregnant again. But not we, a very special. Degrassi. I was always obsessed with wheels. Yes, I love Neil Hope was the actor's name. We just passed. We just, like, but he had disappeared recently. though. Yes, Nobody that was a really weird story. Years. Almost like reflected the story of the real Wheels in the yeah within the show. Because remember when when Degrassi ended, Wheels ended up he was drinking and driving, and Lucy lost Dude, her that's eye. One and, of my, that's one of my all time favorite films. Yes, and I know a lot of people will be like, "Come on, get off." No, nope. I'm telling you, if like I'd put together a list of top 100 films I've seen in my lifetime. School's Out, the Degrassi movie, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies. Because not only was it like, oh my God, they wrapped up their universe, but they allowed them to curse, man. Like, for that Stacy Mastician. It's like, what? I wish I had been in Canada for that moment. I imagine, in my, in my imagination, that happens... And it's the moment in Canada where, like, where were you when Caitlin Ryan yeah, said right. <laughs> you were Tessa Campanelli? It's just such a, like, a wild out there for a show that you watch growing up. And, yes, they, they would do stuff like abortion. Got and they, AIDS yeah, or bullies. Like, or... But nobody cursed. And they no. let them curse in schools out. Yeah. What an impact that. But it was it's the Empire Strikes Back of the Degrassi universe. It's an insanely well-made movie that ends so bleakly. 
Yes. For our heroes across the board. It's almost like they take Joey Jeremiah, Frozen, and Carbonite away. <laughs> but then they never have a Jedi. Yeah, a Jedi. It just it. ends. Well, their Jedi was like years later when they did The Next Generation. Yeah, but you only saw Snake could, and Joey. The rest were God. They brought right? Wheels, though, back for one did episode. They? Yes. Like a couple wow. years back. I want to say it was like season two because Joey, they cycled Joey Jeremiah out, I think, want to say by like season four or five or something. Mm-hmm. They focused more on the kids. But. Uh, and Snake's there, and and you know uh, he he directs as well in real, okay. real life. So he's he'll he'll always be a part of the Degrassi universe. <laughs> but they brought in Wheels at one point, who had been uh, what was his name Neil Neil Hope Neil Hope, and he'd been missing for a while. But the storyline they did reflected the real life thing. And I remember asking Linda Schuyler, I was just like, "What came first? She's like, "We as with everything we do with Degrassi, she said, we take a page out of real life. So we just did." The Neil story, wow. he literally disappeared, and we kind of did. Hey, man, what happened to you? And then years later, he kind of died by you know, it's so sad. You know, it's funny. I'm just realizing right now that, you know, I, this is how I love, this is why I love podcasting. We're in such a conversation. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that have no idea what the hell we're talking about right now. Even better than that, they'll get, there's going to be, let me say, out of the hundreds of thousands, at least 100,000 who are going to be like, this Degrassi sounds like the cure for cancer. How come I never saw it? And they're going to go check it out. And That's they're going right. to get back in. That's what I love about podcasts is you can sit there. As you know, you've done press throughout your career mm-hmm. and stuff. Usually they get you in, for, in front of a mic and it's like, hey, man, say some quick yeah. fa- sound Seven, eight minutes, ten minutes, you're done. And get out of here. Podcast, you can sit around. You can talk about. Yeah, like, remember that moment when Tessa when she said you're Dustin <laughs> Campanelli. How did you watch Degrassi though? Did, did, did PBS you PBS out here? Oh, no, they would run it down here. And mind you, I didn't watch it in first run. I was watching it years after. Like they would do this power hour block of Degrassi Junior High mm-hmm. and then Degrassi High, High. And it switched over. Right. So I saw every episode. I would tape them on VHS and then try. And there was no episode guide. There was no like, you didn't let know. me go to the internet and see which ones are missing. Yeah. <laughs> like you just had to feel it out and be like, I think yes. I've got every one. There was no same number for every season. It was a lot of guesswork. So when Clerks got picked up, I'd, I'd tape them all. I kept them all on VHS and stuff. I took them with me to Canada when I went up to film school in Vancouver, um, I went to this thing called BC Movie Magic that they held where the Lions uh, play, that Lions yeah, stadium yeah. there. And it was like, you know, a bunch, it was like a little, uh, almost like a San Diego Comic Con, but for the movie industry or TV. So they had like equipment and stuff, but also, hey, the stars of this, that, or the other thing. And they had the stars of Degrassi. So I made my friend Scott Mosier, became my producer, and my, my <laughs> cohort in Crime on Smokey, yeah. made him come with me and stuff. And he grew up in Canada. He grew up in like Port Moody in Vancouver. And he's like, dude, I lived here and I didn't watch this show. <laughs> and I was like, how could you have not watched this show? Like this was this created 90210 as far as I was concerned. I had a roommate up there living in Vancouver who like we were living together. I guess there was three dudes in the house. And one dude lived downstairs. And me and this other dude had the top floor. And he had a room. I had a room. We shared a kitchen and bathroom. So at one point, like, you know, just fine relationship and whatnot. But it was cool living with, like, two Canadian dudes because I'd never done that before. <laughs> and you always wanted to be Canadian. Oh, my God. And I got to analyze them in the wild. Like, look at how they scrub the pans and stuff. It's interesting. And they start to say, what are you talking about, E? This is crazy, E. <laughs> look at him get mad. So he, he uh, one day we're sitting around talking about something, and he was just like, well, I'm going to kick back and watch some Degrassi. And I was like, what? And I was like, you watch Degrassi? He goes, oh, religiously. 
And I was like, get out of here, dude. I said, Degrassi, that's part of the reason I came to go to film school up here, man, because Canada. And so we launched this big conversation about all these episodes, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, and then, of course, don't forget Tessa Campanelli. And I look at him blankly because I hadn't seen Schools Out. PBS ran every episode. They never run that movie. Too controversial. I guess. So he was just like, "Uh, you've you've not seen the whole thing. He's going, they did a movie after the series wrapped. And my jaw hit the ground. So I was spent the rest of my time in Canada looking, waiting for them to re-air it, looking for it any place. No YouTube. No internet, yeah. no YouTube, couldn't do anything like that. So never got to see it, man, until years later I make Clerks. It gets picked up by Miramax. Um, it's, we spent 27575 bucks making it. So with like interest on credit cards, figure I owe about forty two k at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. I pay off all my bills and Miramax picks it up. I break off money for everybody who was involved and stuff with the money that I'd left. When whenever the movie was twenty seven five seventy five, they gave me two hundred and twenty seven thousand. This is wow. the year right before they started overpaying for movies. Like next year was Brothers McMullen. I think they bought him for for like at least double of what we did, if not more. Year after that was Care of the Spitfire Grill, where they started paying like six million bucks wow. for an indie movie and stuff. Then Happy Texas got ten million stuff. I didn't care. I was never in for the money, man. I just wanted to be, I just wanted a distributor. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. even think we'd get that. Clerks was meant to be this kind of calling card movie of like, hey, we know how to do this, so please give us money to do it next time. It's almost time. like a demo. So pay for myself. Right? Very much. Exactly. How like the hell did demo. you sell it to Miramax then? They saw it at, at Sundance. Like, we had these four screenings at Sundance where each screening and 94 escalated and the word got out and people were like, yeah, see this movie, blah, blah, blah. So Miramax had had a chance to buy it long before Sundance. We organized a screening for Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein came in from uh, London or something like that. Uh, the night the screening was happening, it was packed with a hmm. bunch of young people worked at Miramax. He watched like 10 minutes, walked out, and that was it. So we thought we were dead at Miramax. Thanks to like the Sundance, how it played up there, he came back to see the movie, winds up picking up the flick. So 227000 bucks, which was like all the money in the world to me. I know it, it easily pays off the debt of the movie, oh, yeah. so I, my credit cards are paid for I easily start breaking off like the money I'd borrowed. I borrowed three grand from my parents to make a, uh, to rent the equipment in the beginning because I found a place that didn't take credit cards, so I needed cash. So I was able to give them their money back. I borrowed three grand from Scott's parents to make a print, so I was able to give them their money back right away. Pay off the bills, give everyone in the cast some cash. But the money that was left, which was probably about, I want to say, Forty, sixty thousand bucks, mm-hmm. which again, nineteen ninety four to me, that's the most money I'd ever seen and would ever see. Like when I told my parents, like they bought the movie for two hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars. <laughs> like we were millionaires, even though we weren't in close. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah, because it, like my father, I think he was making at that point maybe like twenty two thousand right. dollars a year working for the post office. So you know, it was just crazy kind of money to them. So when all was paid off, I had like about I want to say like. Between forty and sixty left. I bought a Dodge Neon, which was like thirteen K because I'd never bought a new car in my life, it was all hand me downs. But I couldn't commit to like snazzy or or, or <laughs> I was just like, this seems sensible, it's cheap, you know. And then getting in it with all due respect to Dodge, like it was made of rubber. If I got one accident, that would have been that. Yeah, know, later on I figured out I should do something else. But so I bought a Dodge Neon. The other thing I bought was now, again, this is pre – the Internet's just starting to break at this point. But there's no YouTube. There's no, like, people uploading stuff that you can see or hunt down. Mm-hmm. So I, I go looking for schools out 
like through every video distribution company I could. I could never get to it. Like in the catalogs? Yes. <laughs> they pointed me to a scholastic company. They're like, oh, we actually do both of those series for schools. So we sell them exclusively to schools. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm looking to buy the entire library. And this was at a time when VHSs that weren't priced to own were like 99 bucks a piece. Right. So the ladies like we have all of C of Degrassi high junior high and all of Degrassi high. And I was like, how many episodes? And yeah, cause again, there's no place to go to, to be like, here's sure. your episode guy. Degrassi. There could be 20. There could be 200. I didn't know, especially me. I didn't grow up in Canada. Yeah. So I'm like throwing darts in, in the dark. So she tells me how many episodes. Number one, I'm like, oh, my God, I have every episode. Like, I did get them all oh, okay. on, on VHS. But these were going to be in nice boxes, <laughs> like official boxes. But I said, most importantly, I said, there's a movie of some sort, like a two-hour feature. She said, yeah, school's out. I was like, oh, my God, I sold. So I wound up buying the entire library. Now, if you go to a DVD store now, I mean, kids are like, what's a DVD store? If you jump online, you can stream every episode of Grassy <laughs> that has ever happened for free. Go to <laughs> right. iTunes, maybe pay a buck or something yeah. like that, or two bucks, three bucks. But at this point, the only way for me to get them was to buy them from the Scholastic Company at 99 bucks a tape, dude. No. So I wound up spending over 5000 bucks. Maybe, it was maybe close to eight to buy the entire Degrassi library. And they didn't want to sell it to me because they were like, you realize this is sold expressly to schools for educational purposes. I was like, I know, but I'm a huge fan. And they were like, it was long silence. Like, how old are you, sir? You know, this is a show about high schoolers and whatnot. But, um, but I didn't care, dude. That was the first time I could get my hands on schools out. And I grabbed, well, as soon as they showed up in this one box, like you, you wanted the box to be bigger for how much I paid, but I was like, I don't care. And when you open it up, it wasn't like every cover was like I dreamed of all these like amazing covers that I'd never seen. Half of them had a cool cover. The other half was like literally just printed on it. Wow. Like just yeah. paper white. The same thing that I've had with my own VHS. <laughs> Marker. But there was schools out, and I kicked back and watched that movie by myself in my room. Dude. In your glory. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Like I it, – it, it was worth every penny. I overpaid for that library, and that was probably the most foolhardy purchase of my life where I was like, <laughs> I just have to have it. And if I had just waited a couple of years, or, or really, like, I knew some but Canadians. But you've been waiting, though, man. Oh. You've been waiting a long and time. And I was mad. That was my mad money moment. Like, some people, like, they get a bunch of their first, like, big checks, right. and they go nuts, do something. Like, that was my going nuts, which my mother was like, I really wish you had spent it on, like, a car or something extravagant. I was like, I don't need a car. I got a neon. What I didn't have was schools out. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and you talk, I mean, Clerks was done, like you said, on a shoestring budget. Most of your friends were in it, but it was basically the dialogue that was so good. Because I remember I, ca I caught on to your, to your stuff on Mallrats mm -hmm. because you got to see this movie and the dialogue is great. And there's Star Wars references and this, that, and the other thing. Actually, it's funny. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a guy, he was um, uh, a Samoan guy called Rikishi. He was mm -hmm. a big dude. And his, one of his moves would he would pull his pants up, like give himself a wedgie, and then rub his ass in his opponent's face who was sitting in the corner. <laughs> and I coined the name of the move, the stink face. Because I got it right off of the stink palm oh that the God. dude has with the you know the the, the Brody has the Brody pretzel is. and you know rub, rubs his ass with it and then shakes the guy's hand and then the guy eats the pretzel and gets sick so that was the stink palm that so wild. anybody that, that's ever seen Rikishi with the stink face I gave him that name straight Based from rats. mall rats exactly that is adorable so, what is it about rats do you think you 
you hooked into rats because like it looks like it could have been set in, in Winnipeg. Yes, and also I was, it was shot in Minnesota, which is kind of like the Canada of is. America. When I was in, uh, a kid, we would go to Fargo or go to Minneapolis for vacation. Is that how far is it? Uh, it's about three hours, four hours to Fargo, and eight hours to Minneapolis. If you're driving, if you're driving, so it's, oh my god! So you just cross the border. I, I saw Kiss in Fargo. We'd go to Valley Fair in Minneapolis, the big fair, and, with my buds. Like right, right, right. Like it was a big let's, trip. Yeah, let's school. go. Yeah. Let's go to the states for the weekend. You go to Fargo or Grand Forks. And it's like, oh, you could buy Hostess Twinkies there, and you could. You know, go to <laughs> they the didn't mall. have those. No, they Why? didn't. Why? So, what was your snack cake? Uh, we didn't. Maybe Dolly Madison or something. Right, but we right. didn't have the actual Hostess. Give us Hostess. Hostess, damn it! I want a Hostess cherry pie. What so, did you do on the weekends? Did you drink there or here? Uh, well, you'd go to the states. We had we had fake ID uh-huh. when we were kids. We used to make it like. Back in those days, you didn't even have a picture on your license. Right. So you, we would photocopy the license. And then take like go to Staples or whatever it was called back then, and take the little decal numbers and change you know seventy to sixty seven, and then we'd photocopy that, and then we'd put some really bad lamination over it that we made ourselves basically out of uh, see through invisible scotch tape. Right. So it was a one sided black and white scotch tape covered birth certificate that would get you. And that was enough. That would be enough. So yeah, we'd go to the states to to drink, but of course eighteen is the is the limit in Winnipeg. We would go to the states where it's twenty one, but we could use our fake ID. But okay, so you could drink in Winnipeg at age eighteen. Yes. So it seems like I would imagine more Americans would be coming over and be like, "Hey, let's go drink." Yeah, they would. Like American but, teens but if they're riding a, the border. Yeah, sure. But there was always something about going to the states. Let's go to the states right. for the weekend. Like I said, we'll buy Hostess Twinkies. Was it when you got there? Was it everything that you thought, was, or were you like, "This is it was, remarkably like where we're from"? It was cool, much like when you went to Canada because yeah. it was another country. Exotic. And you know, there was you know American girls. Of course, we didn't talk to any of them. But <laughs> the thing is, too, is the beer in the states is so it's like piss. Like yeah, because yeah. in Canada, it's we used to by old stock which was six percent which means in so my you could put a pencil in and it'll stand basically up. Yeah. in my estimation normal beer was five percent so if you bought six beers at five percent you're drinking 30 percent alcohol but if you bought old uh, old keith extra old stock you got six beers at six percent so you got 36 percent alcohol which <laughs> drunker, is that much quicker. more drunker yes but then you go to the states and it was like two percent so we could drink like 20 30 beers and that's one thing about canadians so when i was a kid i watched hockey uh get in fights and you drank beer not necessarily in that order that's right. what you do there listen to metal ah. so that was basically it man so so when I watch, so them, you get to the states and you're like, "Give me a two for a labat." <laughs> Come on, man, this is this is terrible, eh? And then, but watching uh, mall rats, it's like those guys were my age too, because you know, like you said, we're the same age. So right, I was right. 23, 24 years old, and it, once again, it was kind of indicative of what. I wasn't quite as slackerish as those guys were, but it really connected because of all the trivia and all the the, the kickbacks to Star Wars. Right, right, I mean, right. I still remember the clerks when you had the debate on what happened to the guys who built the Death Star. Were they <laughs> independent contractors? Yeah. You know, they're they're not doing anything evil or whatever you've written. It's like there's Tarantino and there's Kevin Smith. These guys can write these amazing oh, you know diatribes, awesome. which kept because it was like stuff that I would talk about with my friends. Mm. You know, Star Wars minutia, stuff that nobody cared about unless you were in now, the tribe. Now all you have to do is open up your laptop or yeah. log online and they will like throw a gazillion pop culture references so at many you. things way better way sharper it's crazy now. yeah and- there was a time where quentin was the first one who kind of like hipped me and not like personally but mm-hmm. I, I watched reservoir dogs and the opening of reservoir dogs are sitting around talking about madonna, madonna like a virgin right I, and that was like okay this has nothing to do 
with what these cats like this. Why are these cats in this movie talking about pop culture or something? Yeah. I know we didn't even call it pop culture then. It just uh, it references. Like, hey, Mike, he's talking about Madonna. Yeah. Like it was just like that. Was, it was, that our, was strange. Our guys. Yes. You know, and also people. like years after it was uh, com- the cartoons or, or uh, long before any movie. Like, there was a Fantastic Four poster in the background, mm-hmm. Silver Surfer mm-hmm. or the thing or something like that. And he talked about, like, uh, Tim Roth is like, you know, you know Fantastic Four, the thing. Now it's very common for a, something in pop culture to reference something else in pop culture. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was a kid, it was so rare that when they ran, like, one of the last episodes of The Facts of Life was, it must have been around 83 because, or this episode at least was 83 because... They were talking about getting together again over the summer to see the new Star Wars movie. Hmm. And I think it was Joe was just like, well, I'll see each other when we go see that new Star Wars movie. And I remember being a kid and being like, hmm. like Star Wars exists in their, in their world? universe. Yeah. So it was rare. Like people didn't really talk about other pop culture entities. I mean, like on the news and stuff, but movies and TV not, shows didn't not acknowledge like that. others. Right. Now it's like you can get away with having no content and just making nothing but well, because like you said, references. but it's so much easier to find those references now because you just go online or go on YouTube or go on anything, mm-hmm. and you know that's why you know Star Wars. I mean, that's why you see you know twelve year old kids at a Motorhead concert because Motorhead is now the cool thing yes. for all ages. Okay, on that note, we got to stop it here with Kevin Smith, and on Friday we're going to talk Star Wars, comic book villains, Ben Affleck, Jason Lee, the crazy true story about the Gimli glider, and what that has to do with Kevin's new movie Tusk, set in my hometown of Winnipeg. Yeah, boy, it's out now. Go check out Tusk. Got a great story about the great one, Wayne Gretzky from Kevin. So much more on this amazing, amazing chat with uh, with my boy Kevin Smith coming out on Friday. Thanks to Kevin Smith for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to all of you who picked up the new Fozzie album, Do You Want to Start a War? Debuted at number 54, our highest debut ever. And also, my, don't forget, my latest run with the WWE is over for now. Don't worry, I'm not retiring. I will be back. So thank you for supporting me uh, in, in, in all that I've done. And thank you for supporting all the stuff I'm going to do. Don't forget, one of those things, my new book, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, is going to be coming out on October 14th. Go pre-order it now uh, if you want to on, on my Amazon link. And also, I'll be doing some appearances and signings for the book, which I will tell you about upcoming. Actually, as a matter of fact, on Friday, I'm going to read a chapter from the best in the world at what I have no idea as a little preview just for you. And you know I wouldn't be doing this at all if not for you guys downloading two shows every week and also if not for my Sexy Beast sponsors who help us pay for the production costs of doing this for you for free for twice a week. And if you want to help support the show, easiest way to do that is to do your online shopping through my Amazon links. Easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on the banner at the top of the page. Keep our podcasts free. Then click on Talk is Jericho. You see all three of my Amazon links. Amazon UK, Amazon USA, and Amazon Canada A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show, so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done, and you're helping me out in the process. So that's uh, Baby Goes to Sleep now. In the meantime and in between time, uh, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you on Friday for the second half of my two-parter with Kevin Smith, and it is amazing. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast one.com.